called It Must Die. And we're going to take it from the life of David. And David was a, a warrior. David was a battling kind of guy. David was a, he wasn't afraid of blood. David wasn't afraid of a good fight. David had many victories in his life. And the Bible made it very clear that when David had victory in his life, it's because God gave it to him. And so the Bible even says that David is a man after God's own heart, which I think is pretty significant because you're going to need to always remember that because when you read the life of David, you see his mistakes, you see his failures, you see his shortcomings, you see his impatience, you see his, just his reality. And if the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, then that gives me hope that with all my junk, come on somebody, I can be a man after God's own heart also. And so I want to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And I want to talk to you about something or it must die. And so watch this. Verse 8. I mean, verse 1. After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Goth, their largest town. David also conquered the land of Moab. He made the people lie down on the ground in a row, and he measured them off in groups with, with a length of rope. He measured off two groups to be executed for every one group to be spared. The Moabites who were spared became David's subjects and paid him tribute money, or some translations say that they became his servants and they gave him gifts. So what I want you to see, it's a pretty gruesome story. You ladies, I don't want you to freak out this morning. There's actually a deep spiritual truth in this gruesome story. And, and I hope today that we can get this spiritual truth and apply it to our life and, and really become more healthy spiritually. We can, we, I believe we'll, we'll, we'll get our joy back. Some of you are going to get some peace in your life today. Some of you are going to get some things settled. And so today I want to talk to you about what needs to die in your life. You see, when you give your life to Jesus and you begin to live your life for him, eventually you start to realize that there's things in your life that just need to die. This, it's, a, it's the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and he brings conviction, not condemnation, but conviction. Conviction says that you, need, you just need to let this go. You need to put this thing aside. Condemnation says that because of this thing, you ain't worth nothing and you need to die. But the truth is, is that you must be worth something because Jesus gave his life for you. That's good preaching. <clears throat> and so David finally conquers the Moabites. He, he defeats them. And in this moment, he, he has them all lay down on the ground. His enemy is literally at his feet. And David has the responsibility now to decide or to determine Who's going to die and who's going to live? So David has his sword in his hand. He makes two lines of people that are going to die. And for every two lines of people that are going to die, he has one line of people that are going to live, but they're going to serve him and they're going to bring him gifts. So God gave him the responsibility to determine what dies or who dies and who doesn't die. So think about that responsibility. Think about that weight that David's now carrying. He has a sword in his hand, and it looks something like this. He's going over there, laying down on the ground, and he's making lines with the people. And he's saying, you're going to die. You need to go get in that line. You're going to die. You need to go get in that line. You, I'm going to let you live, but you're going to serve me all of your days. You can stay right where you're at. But you, you, and you, you're going to die. You need to go get in that line. Pretty crazy story, right? David gets to determine all that. 
Life and death is a big deal. In fact, it's one of the most important things to all of us. Just get a phone call in the middle of the night and hear these words, there's been an accident. And what's the first thing that pops in your mind? Are they alive or are they dead? That's the very first thing you want to know. You don't want to know anything else until you know whether or not they're alive or they're dead. If they're alive, we can work down from that and see how good, what kind of shape they're in. But you want to know for sure, are they alive or are they dead? And so David has the power and the authority that's been given to him by God to determine who's going to die and who's going to live. It's a very serious thing. And we're all one phone call away from having to think really hard about that. In, in the Roman days, in the, in the Roman times, you remember the, the battles with the gladiators? How many of you watched the movie Gladiator? Come on, it's one of my favorite movies. Love that movie. My wife doesn't like it. It's too much blood. I'm like, ain't enough. You know, let's get more blood. <laughs> How can we get more blood and knives in this thing? Anyway, just joking. Um, but in, in the movie Gladiators, it was a pretty good description of, of what really happened in the Roman time when, when they would, the gladiators, they would set up these events where the gladiators would fight. And so the whole community, the whole region would come out. They would fill this big old coliseum. The emperor would be there. The gladiators would be underneath the stadium preparing to go into battle. And the gladiators would come out and they would fight until one of them was conquered. And when one of them was conquered... The other one who conquered him would always either put a sword or put something on that person and to their throat. And then the whole Colosseum, watch this, the whole Colosseum would turn and look at the emperor. And the emperor, with, the, with just the, the move of his hand, could determine, let him live or let him die. And whichever one he said the gladiator would have to do, Right? And so that's what's going on here is in this, in this story is that David has conquered his enemy, the enemy that's been nagging him, the enemy that's been frustrating him, the enemy that's been tormenting him over all this time. You've got to understand that the Moabites were constantly a nagging thing to David. David would go into battle with this group of people, but he had to watch his back because the Moabites were always trying to come around and get him. He, they were a constant thorn in his flesh. And finally, he finally conquers them, and he has a decision to make. Do I deal with my enemy once and for all right here and now, or do I let him go and fight him another day? And the reason I'm preaching this message today is because as a pastor, I see too many people, too many Christians walking around Caring things or having things that are tormenting them, frustrating them, aggravating them, pulling them down that they're just refusing to kill. Because you see, the truth in all of this is that God gives you, every one of you, the power and the authority to kill the things in your life that need to die. You may not have walked in this morning thinking that I was going to preach a message about something needing to die, but I'm preaching a message that something needs to die. Your attitude may need to die. Your perspective on things may need to die. Your, your, your addiction needs to die. Your depression needs to die. Your anger needs to die before it becomes bitterness. Your, your flirting needs to die before it, comes, it becomes an affair. Your drinking needs to die before it becomes alcoholism. Right? Something needs to die 
And we've been given the authority and the power by God to kill the things in our life that need to die. You see, if we refuse to kill the things that need to die, then we're ultimately letting those things choke us out. We're letting those things kill us. We're letting those things damage us. And watch this. They're keeping us from enjoying the good life that God wants us to enjoy. You realize some of you don't have peace in your life because you've been dealing with the same problem for 10, 15, or 20 years. And the definition of insanity, by the way, is doing the same thing over and 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 over again, hoping for a different result. But because we refuse to kill some things and we've chosen to coexist with them or just let them be with us, we're not living to the full potential that God wants us to live to. We're not enjoying this good life that God wants us to enjoy. I discovered several years back the most dangerous animal on the planet. I found it. It wasn't a lion. It wasn't a black mamba because those don't grow around here. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a leopard. It wasn't a panther. It wasn't none of those things. To me, the most deadliest animal in the world is a mouse. Because more people have tried to kill themselves, getting to, nearly killed themselves, getting away from a mouse than anything else. I mean, come on, I'm going to prove it to you this morning. How many of you have been chased by a lion? Raise your hand. None of you. How many of you run into a mouse? Raise your hand. How many of you nearly died trying to get away from that mouse? Raise your hand. Right? When you, the moment you saw the mouse in your house, you didn't instantly think, okay, how can we work this thing out? You get like, you get like, the, you can live in the cabinets and then I'll keep the rest of the house. You wasn't trying to negotiate with the mouse. Right? You wasn't trying to make a plan to coexist with the mouse. What'd you do? You ran to the closet and got the flamethrower. Right? You pulled out the bazooka, baby. You're going to get rid of the mouse. Right? You open your garage and there's a snake in the garage. You're not thinking about how we can become roommates. Right? You're thinking about, I'm going to cut your stinking head off. Why? Because the best snake, say it with me, is a... That's the only snake there is, is a dead snake. Come on, somebody. But that's the reality. But too many Christians today are walking around living and coexisting with things that have the potential to kill them. And they think it's harmless. I saw a story one day on Facebook. There was a lady and it was a picture of a, of a lady laying in the bed. And then there was this big old python stretched out next to her. And she took a selfie of her and her python. And she said, look, my sweet python is laying next to me in the bed. He loves to do this. Isn't it sweet? And some guy commented on their lady, you need to get rid of that snake. Because when a python stretches, his out, uh, stretches itself out, when a python stretches itself out against something, it's measuring it up to see if it can swallow it. He's sizing it up. By the way, if you sleep with snakes, you need to go find another church. <laughs> Homie, don't play that. Because the best snake is a... Come on, somebody. We're going to kill some snakes this morning. But despite how gruesome this story sounds, there's a deep spiritual truth in there that every one of us needs to take home with us today. Some of us are going to deal with some things today. 
Because you see, you walk into a church service like this today, and, and you, 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 maybe you came in expecting, oh, Pastor Jamie's going to have a rainy day message, you know, kind of sunny and bright, and he's going to make us feel good so we can go home and fill our bellies and take a big nap, and, you know, it's going to be a good Sunday. Listen, I want you to fill your belly, and I want you to take a big nap, but I want you to kill a few things before you do it, okay? Because you sleep better when the snakes are dead. Come on, somebody. You sleep better when the mice are out the house, right? After Sugarland comes to your house and sprays for the, co- the cockroaches, you sleep a whole lot better, right? So we're going to deal with some things this morning so that you can have some peace in your life. Is that all right? So imagine David and how much he knew about battle. Think about David for a minute. David was a man who knew what it felt like to plan a battle. He knew what it felt like to come up with strategies on how to conquer the enemy, he knew how to study his enemy. He knew how to, how to make plans and bring other people into the room and, and, and get a little war plan together and go out and fight his enemy. David knew the anxiety and the adrenaline that comes with getting ready to go into a battle. David knows what it's like to stand face to face with your enemy and look across at his guys and then some guys see extreme fear and then in other guys see extreme courage. And have to deal with his own emotions at the same time. David knew what it was like to take his sword and say charge. To actually hit the start button on the war. He knew what that was like. David knew what blood tasted like. He knew what blood felt like. He knew the warmth of the blood when it hit his body from killing somebody. David knew what it was like to lose some of his best companions. Some of his best buddies in war. He knew what it was like to conquer his enemy. He understood deep down inside of him that if I don't kill my enemy, my enemy's going to kill me. Hmm. You see, what you got to understand this morning is this, is that you're in a battle. Every one of you is in a battle. And it's a battle for your spiritual life. It's a battle for your eternity. And the enemy has one job, and it's to steal, kill, and destroy any and everything that he can in your life. He's not mad at you. He's mad at God. But he's going to take it out on you because you're God's favorite people. But every one of us is in a battle. We're not in a flesh and blood battle. So you can't go home and kill somebody and say, well, Pastor Jamie said to kill somebody. No, I didn't say that. We're in a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle going on in the heavenly realm, the Bible says, in the heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle. And you have the authority to kill what needs to be killed. Amen? And so you need to realize this morning, number one, I'm in a spiritual battle and I need to do something about it. I need to have the attitude that David had that I better kill these enemies before these enemies kill me. You see, if you're going to grow a garden to, to, to bring nutrients into your body and to enjoy its fruit, you have to, you have to kill some things. Come on, there's going to be some weeds, Right? Some weeds that are going to want to grow up in your garden. And if you don't deal with the weeds in your garden, eventually they're going to choke out the fruit that you're trying to produce. Spiritually, if you don't deal with some of the things that the Holy Spirit's bringing up and saying you need to deal with, eventually those spiritual weeds are going to choke out the fruit that God's trying to produce in your life. That's just the truth. Some of you don't have joy because you're letting too many things hang out with you. Some of you don't have peace because you haven't severed the relationships that God's told you to sever. Some of you don't have any joy because you're hanging on to all these things that you used to do 
Because you're afraid that this new thing called Jesus or this new person called Jesus that you're hanging on to now is not going to be as fun as the old things you used to do. And so you're carrying your past with you, hoping that you can enjoy your past and your baggage and Jesus at the same time. But you can't. Too many Christians walking around today carrying the old self with them. Amen? So this was a huge victory for David and his army because the Moabites were known for their use of weapons. They were one of the most modern military machines of the time. They learned the art of using iron. They had iron on their weapons. They had iron on their, their chariots. They had iron on their shields. They, they, were, they were very good military. And this was a huge victory for David. Huge. This was his, basically his number one enemy, and he finally conquers him. And think about this for a minute. Now that he's conquered his enemy and he, get to, he gets to determine who's going to die and who's going to live, he ultimately gets to determine who's going to be around after all this. Make sense? David's determining how much crazy I want to deal with, <laughs> how much stupid I want to live with, how much drama. I'm preaching now. Some of you like more, more drama than the reality shows. I mean, you just, you live in drama. I'm like, drama got to die. Ain't no place for drama in my house, right? So David gets to decide who's going to live and who's going to die. But you got to understand something about the Moabites. The Moabites actually came out of a moment of sin. Back when Lot was living and Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah with his family, Remember that? God told Lot, he said, I'm going to spare your life. You need to get out of this city and you need to leave. And, and God gave him very specific instructions. He said, you need to leave and go up that mountain. And he said, don't look back. If you look back, you're going to instantly turn into a pillar of salt. So Lot grabs his wife and his daughters and he starts heading towards that mountain. And God said to go up the mountain, mountain and instead... Lot decides to go around the mountain, and when he makes that decision to go around the mountain and not listen to God, his wife looks back and instantly turns into a pillar of salt. And then all of a sudden it dawns on him, well, I better do what God said to do. Listen to me. Let me give you this little side note. It's better to listen to the mercy of God than to have to listen to the judgment of God. It's better when God says to go, go, go to the other side of town by first street than to go down to third street and go that way. It's better to do what God says than to face his judgment. Amen. Does that make sense? It's better to do it that way. So then Lot gathers up his daughters and he says, well, we better listen to God now. <laughs> How many of you have been living that way for a little while? You kind of get the judgment of God and all of a sudden you go, oh, I guess I better listen now. A story in my life. I'm just saying. And so he heads up the mountain with his daughters. They get to the top of the mountain. And then in a moment, he gets drunk, his daughters get drunk, this crazy thing happens, they sleep together, and his daughters get pregnant for him. Gross story. Out of that sin, the Moabite people were birthed. His daughter's children became the Moabites, who would from that day on torment God's chosen people, the Israelites. And finally, Finally, David has conquered the thing that's been nagging him for so long. Finally. 
You see, my hope and my prayer today is that you'll hear the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning and he'll tell you something like this. That anger you got, it needs to die. That unforgiveness you have, it needs to die. That that little bit of sipping something on the side, that needs to die because if you don't kill it, it's going to turn into alcoholism. That little bit of drug use here and there, you better kill it now before it turns into something that you can't control. That little bit of flirting needs to die today before it turns into a full-blown affair. Come on now, I'm preaching good this morning. That anger needs to die before it turns into bitterness. That rebellion needs to die before it turns into destruction. Are you seeing that? I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to every one of us today. That depression, it needs to die today. Amen? And if we'll just listen to what God says and we'll take heed to his word, we can kill the thing that he says to kill and we can enjoy life. Amen. So David finally conquers his enemy and it's a big deal. I bet David at that moment was feeling a little bit of relief. On the one hand, he's feeling, man, I finally got him. Man, I'm finally going to put this thing to death. Enough is enough. I bet when David saw the Moabites and he saw the opportunity he had to kill them, that something rose up inside of him that most mamas have when their kids start acting a little crazy. You know, when your kids been driving you crazy all day and mama's finally had it, what mama say? That's enough. Right. And then she drops the hammer on the kids. Right. Come on, mamas. I think David had an attitude like that. You know what? Them sorry suckers been chasing me for too long. I've been dealing with this sin for too long. I've been wrestling and struggling with this for too long. You know what most Christians life looks like? It looks like a roller coaster. It's sad to say, but as a pastor, I've realized that most Christians lives look like a roller coaster. One moment they're up and they're next to God. They feel like they're in the throne room of God. They can conquer hell with a water pistol. Okay. And then in an instant, Because they haven't killed what God told them to kill, the enemy will jerk the chain that's on their life and they'll come crashing down. And yesterday they felt like God's favorite son. And today they feel like the lowest piece of dirt ever made. So a Christian, most Christians lives look like this. And you know why? There's nothing wrong with God. There's nothing wrong with his, his ability to relate with us. There's nothing wrong with everything that he's already given us. The problem is with us refusing to kill what he said to kill. That's the problem. We're, we're procrastinating. We're waiting. Some of you over-spiritualize it. Oh, well, I don't know if that was the Lord. You see, I'm going to have to get with my little group and and talk that over and see if that was the Holy Spirit that spoke to me. I just don't know. And the whole time, that enemy is growing. That enemy is multiplying. The longer you wait, the more you got to face. Right? So as your pastor today, I just want to say enough is enough. Can we just kill a little something today? Come on, can we put some things to death that need to be put to death? Yes, pastor, we can do that today. David has to decide whether or not they're going to die today. 
Because you see, you can't let your enemies live. You can't let them keep going. You've got to deal with it today. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. I want to give you something from the New Testament about what needs to die. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says this. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I told the first service, when I hear that word lurking, I think of a swamp, kind of a Scooby-Doo type environment. You know what I'm saying? And there's something lurking, right? And it's coming to get you. The Bible's saying that you need to put to death that sinful nature and those earthly things that are lurking inside of you. Listen to me. Every time a believer tries to rise up, the enemy's constantly trying to pull him back down because you've let him lurk in your life too long. So watch what he says to put to death. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. What does that mean, pastor? That means sex outside of marriage is sin. There's no other way to say it. If you're not married and you're having sex, it's sin. Period. I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you what God's word says, and I hope that you'll get free from it. It says this, it says put to death, I mean, I'm sorry, it says sexual immorality, then it says impurity. That word impurity means anything, listen to me, anything that will make you less pure than you already are, get rid of it, get away from it, kill it, it's got to die. If you're watching the spooky shows on TV and it's making you scared at night, quit watching it. If you're watching the reality shows and your life is filled with drama, quit watching. If you're tired of being depressed, get out of your house and go visit somebody. Not somebody else who's depressed. (laughs) Get around somebody got a little joy on them. You follow me? God put people like that in the world. Impurity. Get rid of lust and every evil desire. These things must die today. You see, too many Christians go around saying, I'm saved, but I'm still sleeping around. I'm saved, but I'm still drinking. I'm saved, but I'm still smoking a little pot. I'm saved, but I'm still angry. I'm saved. You see, we want the grace of God. But we also want the fun of sin. (laughs) Which, by the way, the Bible says that sin's only fun for a season. And I know that to be true. The first time I got drunk, I had a blast. The 100th time I got drunk, it wasn't so fun. It hurt the next morning. It wasn't nearly as fun. It was never as fun. In fact, I tried to drink more to make it fun, and it it just got worse. (laughs) Same way with drugs. Right? Sin is fun for a season, but too many people want the grace of God and they want the fun of sin. Romans 8.13 says this, for if you live by its dictates, talking about the sinful nature, you will die. So in other words, if you continue to let the old sinful nature dictate the way you're going to live, then you're going to die. What does that mean, pastor? That means if you let anger control your life, eventually you're going to die. If you let alcoholism control your life, one day you're going to die. If you let drug addiction control your life, you're going to die. You let sexual immorality control your life, you're going to die. 
That's what the Bible says. If you let it dictate the way you're going to live, you will die. Watch this. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. How many of you want to live? Thank God all of you raised your hand. I want to live. And the Bible says that by the Spirit, if you'll put to death the deeds of your flesh, you will live. David's standing there with a sword in his hand, determining what's going to die and what's going to live. And it's a beautiful picture of what God's given us. Do you know what this is called in Galatians? This is called the sword of the Spirit. This is the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. The Word of God, God's living, breathing words in this Bible are your sword in your spiritual battle. And if you'll take this message today and you'll begin to get up in your sword and learn how to use it, then you'll start learning how to put to death that anger needs to die. That lust needs to die. This needs to die. And you'll learn how to use your sword, the sword of the Spirit, to kill the things that need to die. But you can't kill nothing if you can't even pick the sword up. Oh, that was good. Oh, I stepped on some toes this morning. You see, we want to come to church and and learn how to use a sword. And think that Sunday morning is enough lessons to learn how to use my sword. I'm sorry, my message ain't that good. You got to get your own sword Get your own little place in your house and get your own little self up in this word and learn how to use this thing. And when it starts to tell you that you are the righteousness of God and it starts to tell you how much God loves you, that you can't even understand how much he loves you. You start to walk away from some things that you just used to you just used to walk into. You'll walk away from sin that people thought you would never walk away just by simply reading how much God loves me. Well, if God loves me that much, then what the heck am I doing hanging out with all these dead people? I need to sever these relationships. I need to go get around some live people. Oh, my God, I want to be around other people that love me too. Oh, God, this word's good. Right? It's the sword of the Spirit. It's really the only offensive weapon we have in our armor. Everything else that God gives us is to protect ourselves. This is the one thing that we fight back with. This was the one thing that, the, that Jesus used when he was in the desert being tempted by the devil. The devil even came and tried to use Jesus' sword against him. Well, you know, Scripture says. And he's like, oh, no, Jack, Scripture says this. How did he know that? Because he knew this. Come on, somebody. He was the word. This is the sword of the spirit, and we've been called to use it to put to death the things that need to be put to death. This making sense? You see, enough is enough. We've been fighting this thing for too long. Come on, you all know that little sip years ago turned into something that was uncontrollable. Clicking on this online turned into something that calls your name all the time talking about this person and that person to make yourself feel better just getting worse and worse you know if you don't deal with it today it's going to grow and it's going to multiply it's going to get worse let me show you in scripture how many of you have heard of these guys these three guys his their names are shesha ahimen and Telme. how many of you have heard of those guys raise your hand you bible scholars 
Nobody's heard of those guys. Well, they're pretty insignificant in the Bible, but they really are. They really are some huge names because these are the three sons of Anak. Anak was the first Bible, the first giant recorded in the Bible. Anak was huge. He was one of the first giants, and this is his three sons. And the reason their names are so important is because if you remember, when they sent the spies into the promised land to, to spy out the land and see if it was ready for them, they sent 10 people into that land to spy it out, and they ran into these three guys, three giants. And you remember their report? They came back and they said, man, it's a land filled with giants, and we, we, we're, we're like grasshoppers, and they think we're grasshoppers too. I'd have been like, well, did you have a conversation with them? Did they tell you you look like a grasshopper? How do you know what they think? Come on, you know sometimes people just make stuff up. I'd be like, no, they didn't call you. They, they didn't even notice you. But the children of Israel, and at this time they were numbered at about 2 million people. 2 million people shrank back from three giants. The Bible says that they shrank back and they went back out into the wilderness. Instead of possessing what God called them to possess, they shrank back, went out into the wilderness, and a million of them died in the wilderness for 40 years. Two million against three. Now listen, they were some big giants. But two million against three? And for some of us, we, we've seen these things that God's told us to kill and we think it's so big and it's so important that we've shrunk back from what God said to do and we've run and we've been living in a wilderness for it seems like 40 years. And my question today is what are we missing out on? What have you missed when you were running? What have you missed? What have you, what have you not enjoyed because you wouldn't kill that thing? Fear. You know how much fear robs us? Fear robs us of the goodness of God. Fear robs us from being who God's called us to be. It robs us from living like God wants us to live. Fear keeps me defeated and broke down when God never sees me that way. Fear reminds me that I'm not a child of God. When I am a child of God, I wonder how much was missing how much was lost a million people lost their lives because of three giants because they refused to face what they needed to face you see there's things in all of our lives that we have to face you're going to have to fess up to some things in this life or in the next that's just the reality when it comes to your children they start popping off attitudes you better deal with it now. I know it's a little cute when they say, no. It's cute now, but when they're 16, you better deal with it now. All of my kids had one opportunity to throw themselves on the floor. And after they were lifted with my righteous right hand, they never did it again. We're going to do it now. Listen to me. I told the first service this, and I ain't trying to bring a, a no gree on me or nothing. But, but my kids, and I'm very proud of my kids, but God showed Cheryl and I how to be parents. We didn't learn from our parents. But my kids, we don't deal with much today. We dealt with it when they were young. An attitude rose up when they were young, I got on it. Disobedience, I got on it. Watch this. Because I got on it early... I can enjoy them. We like each other. Man, that's a phenomenal idea that you and your teenagers can like each other. Because I dealt with it and I killed it when it was young. 
when it was early, when I first found out about it. <clears throat> Forty years, they walked around in the wilderness until one day an 80-year-old man named Caleb popped him a geritol and said, I'm going to kill some giants today. <laughs> the problem is, though, is even though his geritol kicked in and he felt like killing some giants, there was more giants than there used to be. Let me show you a little scripture here real quick. In Joshua 11, verse 21, it says this. During this period, Joshua destroyed all the descendants of Anak. Say all. Who lived in the hill country of Hebron, Deber, and Anab, and the entire hill country of Judah and Israel. He killed them all and completely destroyed their towns. Watch this. When, when, when Caleb had enough, and he said, it's time to go. And Joshua mounted up the armies and he said, come on, enough is enough. He went to the, to the giants, the, the three giants that should have been killed 40 years ago. They're now, when they look at every hilltop around them, there's giants. They're surrounded by giants. You see, what you refuse to kill continues to live. And it continues to grow and it continues to multiply. Sin has babies. It's called addictions because the, the first three letters in addiction are add. It's adding up on you all the time. It's adding up. It's getting harder and harder to quit. It's getting harder and harder to walk away. If you don't deal with it today while it's small, it's going to get bigger on you. And I'm just saying to you this morning as your pastor, let's deal with it today. Let's kill three giants instead of a whole bunch of giants. Right? Deal with it today. Don't be afraid. Two million people could have taken out three giants, but now they have multitudes of them to deal with. You know, everywhere you turn around today, there's people fighting cancer. And the thing I've noticed is that doctors, more and more now, they want you to get tested and checked out even younger. When it comes to like breast cancer, I don't know, what, what's the age you have to be? Doctors recommend you get tested now for breast cancer. What is that? 40? At 34, okay, so it's getting younger and younger. You know why? Because doctors are realizing that the sooner we get on this thing, the sooner it dies. The less damage it causes, the less damage we have to cause to get it out, the less it's all the way around better for you if you deal with it today instead of waiting for tomorrow, right? The doctors got the right attitude. Let's kill it today. Let's, let's check it out. Let's, let's examine you. Let's see if there's something there while it's small. Let's kill it now. Let's not wait. You know, men are hard-headed, right? We cut ourselves and we don't, I know some of you are surprised, but men are hard-headed. We, we cut ourselves and, you know, we, we'll lick it. It's going to go away. I got, I got stuff in my saliva. It, it's like antibiotics and you know, and all this stuff. And the other day I was trying to climb a barbed wire fence. <laughs> that was a sight. And the stinking barbed wire broke. And I come crashing down. And the only thing that was sticking out was my stomach. And my stomach caught a piece of barbed wire. And it, I got a, a scratch from here to here. And so instead of telling my wife about it, I just keep an eye on it. 
And I'm just looking for that red vein to start running up somewhere. And then, then I'll go to my wife and say, hey, I need to get to the hospital. I might be infected. And then, at which in that point, she's going to slap me across the head. Why'd you wait so long? Right? When I should have just cleaned it, took care of it, and dealt with it right then and there. Most Christians are the same way. But I like this. But, but some people say, I don't have to give this up. Some people say, I can be a Christian and do this. I can be a Christian and be mean. Don't you start bumping your your neighbor's elbow. (laughs) Told you, you can't be mean. But too many of us want what the earth has and all that God has, and you're not going to get all that God has because you're hanging on to too many other things. And I believe God's called us to kill it while it's young, kill it while it's early, while it's easy to kill. You see, what's important today is that as I'm preaching this message, I believe the Holy Spirit's starting to bring up some things inside of you. And I believe for every one of you, he's starting to speak to you and he's starting to say to you, it may be anger, it may be unforgiveness. He may be whispering in your ear that, you know, that sin needs to die or you need to, you really need to quit drinking because it's, it's about to get bad. And that's the one thing the enemy keeps pulling on you about. So why not just kill it and let it die and get away from it? Whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, it's important today to go, I hear you. I want to deal with it today. Because there's something powerful about a, a message today like, the, like this one. And when the Holy Spirit brings it up to your memory or he brings it up and he tells you and he speaks to you about killing something in your life. At that moment, he speaks that to you. You have the power, the authority, watch this, and the anointing to kill it right then and there. He's not expecting you to say, okay, I'm going to take care of that in a couple of days. Today. Because chances are it's bigger, badder, and worse than what you think it is. Deal with it when the Holy Spirit convicts you. Deal with it. Now, the old timers used to say you got you to gotta, <laughs> embarrass sin in your life. And I never understood what that meant until I had to embarrass the sin in my life one day. And I had to go to somebody and say, hey, I just got to confess this. I've been doing this. And it was embarrassing to me. But I embarrassed the sin in my life. I put it to death. Amen? I exposed it, and then we killed it. What giants are you dealing with today? What is the thing that's been nagging you, tormenting you, the thing that you've been fighting for years? What is that thing? What is that attitude? What is that addiction? What is that thing that you've been, you've been running to, but that you can't run away from? What is that thing? Are you doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing? I'm not here to condemn you today. Listen to me. Every one of us has something we need to deal with. I'm just here today blowing the whistle saying, come on, y'all. Let's just kill it together. Let's kill it today in a group of other believers. Let's kill that thing today. Let's enough is enough. Right? 
There's a world to reach. There's a, there's a world to reach. There's a kingdom to build. God puts you on this planet. The Bible says, but for a, a vapor, you're only going to be here a short amount of time. We preached this the last two weeks. We're going to spend eternity, which never ends in heaven, where we're not going to have to deal with any of these things anymore. But while we're here, let's kill what needs to die so that we can live and be life to other people. You see, because the enemy is going to, he's going to stop you from giving life to other people because he's going to condemn you because you refuse to kill what needs to be killed. So he keeps you condemned. And every time you have an opportunity to give life to somebody, you can't. Because he's got you strapped down. He's got you chained. He's pulling your chain. He's keeping you down. And enough is enough. We're going to reach this region for Jesus. I'm telling you right now, we're going to plant more churches. We're going to keep on rolling, baby. We're not stopping. I'm not letting the enemy win. If I fall, we're going to get right back up and we're going to keep on going. Right? If today I realize or the Holy Spirit convicts me that something else in my life needs to die, then we're going to deal with it. He showed me the other day that I'm still angry. I'm like, man, why am I? I, I thought I dealt with anger already. No, you let it live. Well, that makes me angry. (laughs) See, there you go. (laughs) Can we do that? Is that possible? To kill what needs to die? Doubt, unbelief, fear, anxiety. Stress. Can we kill that? Shake your head, move something, do something. I'm going to keep on preaching until you do so. You know, I'm grateful for today. It's a great day. It's my baby's birthday. But there's one thing that I'm a little more grateful for than that. And it's the blood of Jesus. And I want to wrap this message up with the blood of Jesus this morning. I'm grateful for the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus does something super, super important in my life. You see, the blood of Jesus broke the power of sin over my life. You see, before I was saved or before I gave my life to Jesus, I was uncontrollable. Sin ran rampant in my life. Sin told me what to do. Sin directed and determined my life. It had power over my life. But the day I met Jesus and I surrendered to his lordship and I accepted that he shed his blood for me and that he's and that he rose from the dead and that now he's the lord of my life. When I did that, he broke the power of sin off of my life. So now I can live and not have to sin anymore. You see that means that I don't have to anymore. I used to have to, but I don't have to anymore. I don't have to click on that site. I don't have to run to the store and buy another bottle. I don't have to call the dope dealer and go get another hit. I don't have to flirt with this woman to try and have something go on on the outside. I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be depressed. I don't have to be busted and broke and beat down anymore. Sin has no more power over my life. I don't have to. I don't have to. 
The enemy no longer has a gun to my head to make me. I don't have to because of the blood. I said because of the blood. Because of the blood that was shed for me. Because of his incredible, powerful, almighty blood that was shed for me.